I'd like you to imagine for a second, walking into a $43 billion company and knowing that you could make them more successful. Now that is the truth for my guest today, Mr. Daniel Tolson. He is a business coach, speaker, author, who's had over 15,000 people go through his coaching programs, 2,000 of them in the last year alone. And today he gave us a huge amount of insight on social emotional intelligence, how to raise children in a way that is effective and loving, and how to have the confidence to grow any business and charge the prices you deserve. Here he is, Mr. Daniel Tolson on Coaches to the Moon. Enjoy. This is Coaches to the Moon, the only podcast you need to skyrocket your coaching business and create true impact on the world. Here's your host, Alex Morris. Welcome back to the Coaches to the Moon podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are absolutely blessed today uh, to be joined by Daniel Tolson. He's a business coach and speaker all the way in Taiwan. And uh, he's got over 15,000 clients under his belt. He's also been one of Australia's top performers in real estate and an Australian wakeboarding champion, not once, not twice, but three times over. Daniel, you beautiful overachieving man. Thank you so much for being here today. My friend, thank you for such a uh, beautiful introduction. I wish I could live up to all of that once again in the future. Can you still wakeboard? Only my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried it. I've never tried it. I used to uh, do a little bit of the water skiing with my skis tied together when I was a little kid. But uh, that's about as far as I got. Hey, on, on your Facebook profile, it says you're a uh, water sports enthusiast. I'm a water enthusiast. Uh, well, I, water I, that's enthusiast. a bit of a. I must have put the sports in there. You definitely did. I, I'm not. I'm not great. <laughs> with, I love swimming. We live near the ocean, so I love hopping in cold water. I love cold showers. The the whole ice bath thing. I love um, rock pools, and I'm really, really working on because I grew up in England and didn't grow up near the beach. I'm working on that confidence in swimming in the ocean out of my depth. So my uh, father-in-law. Is one of those psychos who'll swim headland to headland, you know, like, you know, 200 meters out in the ocean. And uh, that's kind of my Everest is trying to get to, to that level um, so that I can pass that on to my daughters. It's pretty wild heading out there. I get about six feet into the water and I'm worried about sharks. So good on him. There you go. They And he's German. And so he didn't grow up with the ocean either. So he kind of made the decision to do it. And uh, <laughs> that's my whole thing as well. I, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm a dad and a protector of a family and I'm scared to swim out into rough waters, you know? So that's just kind of a little thing I have in my head. And I put water enthusiasts in my, uh, in my profile there because I, I do love a swim, but I'm not as good as I may, uh, may give off. <laughs> Interesting thing about fears is fears can be passed down through four generations. And okay. so, for example, if the grandfather has a fear of swimming that fear might skip his son's generation and it could end up in the grandchildren or the great-grandchildren. So what we're finding today is that people have fears, but the root cause is not in their lifetime. It's been passed down through the genealogy. And they were doing some science, scientific researches. And the rat doctors, what they did was they took a mouse and they got a cefetone, which is a chemical, and they wafted it under the nose. And when they wafted the cefetone, they electrocuted the rat. So quickly, the rat learned that every time it had this smell of a cefetone, it would get electrocuted. And then they bred the mice. And then so the grandfather mouse had a 
sun and they would waft the acephatone under the mouse's nose and the sun and the, the mouse would start to act as if it was going to get shocked. And they bred these mouse four times and so all generations had this fear. But the only person who'd been exposed to the electric shock was the grandfather mouse. Now, they also discovered that these fears skipped generations and it could go from the grandfather to the great-grandchild mouse where they'd waft the acephatone and it would act as if it was going to get shocked. And so then they even took the studies further and they started to do artificial insemination. And they even discovered that these fears could be passed down through artificial insemination. So in our lifetime, fears of water can be passed down. And it's a really good thing for all of our uh, parents, like myself and yourself, fathers, to deal with these fears in our life today so we don't pass them down through the bloodline. Goodness gracious me. That is a very brutal experiment, but how valuable to know that. Super interesting. I wonder if there's a, uh, a bit of, because my sister also is not great in the ocean. And so I wonder if there's something uh, in our genealogy Someone's been uh, shocking some rats in our past and gotten yeah, us- Look out for the rat doctors. <laughs> the rat doctors. It's all blamed on the rat doctors, but that's cool, man. That's uh, yeah, you've got a lot of, this speaks to the fact you have a lot of experience in, in business coaching. And what I try to not do on my um, podcast is just dive too deep into people's stories because I know you've told your story a hundred times, but I'd like to take little bits from your story and figure out how that's turned you into the man you are today. And so, um, so I want to, I want to bring it back, you know, a few years and I'd love to ask you from your experience, was there any lessons that you got from leading a team of 17,000 cabin crew that as uh, you can apply to growing any small or medium business these days? My greatest takeaway from co-leading a team of 17,000 cabin crew at Emirates Airline was that there's no one leadership style. And I quickly learned that, that I was in a business class cabin. In business class, there's 42 customers and you split the cabin in two and you have two people operating on the left, two people operating on the right. And I could give the same instructions to the same group of people and they could produce a totally different result. And what I learned from leading a big team was that everybody's an individual and everybody needs individual leadership. And leadership is also really good communication. And if we can communicate our ideas and concepts and instructions to other people, within their model of the world, and it makes sense to them, they will act on it, they'll execute on it, and they'll get the result immediately. And so it's for the leader to not have a one-size-fits-all approach. It's to have the flexibility to approach all people. Yeah, man, that's that's massive. And I think that people, you know, we, we don't grow up as leaders, and most people... Um, the first time you are leading is either when you're in a management position, but for a lot of us in the coaching and consulting space, we are a one man band or a one woman band. And then we end up hiring an assistant and suddenly we've got to delegate some of our job to this person and keep them motivated. And I know you did an interview recently about kind of hiring people before Christmas, that sort of thing. Uh, and um, I've hired my first team members recently and I've got two team members now and they're, uh, they're completely different. They're completely different. I assumed I could hop on a Zoom meeting with both of them in the morning and they would both go and get the job done. But one guy, he, uh, he's got a lot of energy and needs to be left kind of to, to run. And the other, the other one, she, uh, she needs to kind of be shown how to do things every step of the way and then she'll do it perfectly. And I'm learning this and it's, you know, it's only two people for, for 17,000 people. I mean, 
obviously that that was you as the what was your position at Emirates? What was the name of your title? It's called a senior flight steward. So when you get on the aircraft, there's a purser and there's a senior flight steward. Yeah. The senior flight steward co-leads the team of 17 that are on yeah. the aircraft on that day, but you've also got to lead 400 customers and you've got to yeah. get them safely from one destination to the other. But the interesting dynamic is that your cha your team changes every roster. So there's no consistency in your team because there's 17,000 people. You're always in the deep end. You never know who you're going to work with. You don't know their strengths. You don't know their weaknesses. You don't know who you can trust and who you can't trust. And so the adaptability is very high in that role because there's chances are that you probably won't see the, that person ever again once mm -hmm. you've led them. I suppose that applies really well now that you've had, uh, what, 15,000 coaching clients. No one system will help any person get results. So there's been 15,000 people through my trainings and the most important part of me being the leader at that stage, and we call this situational leadership, these people are doctors, lawyers, multimillionaires, companies that are worth $43 billion and it's situational leadership. And basically I'm the person at this time who is the leader. I've either got more knowledge, I've got more skill, or I know the systems and the processes. So at that time I assume leadership. And it's to take my people to part the Red Sea and to take them through to the promised land, just like Moses did. And for a leader, you have to have excellent sensory acuity. And when you're training groups of 500 and 1,000 people, you can't leave one person behind. It's like my kids watch these Trolls movie and they say, no troll gets left behind. You can't leave anybody behind. So you have to have this sensory acuity as a leader to look out and to make sure that your audience of 500 or 1,000 people are all nodding their head and all going in the same direction. And if one of the person people get left behind, it slows down the rest of the group. So you've got to have great sensory acuity and you've got to be able to make sure that people are understanding what you're doing. We've also got to simplify the message. See, when we're communicating to people and people are learning, we learn at an unconscious level. And your unconscious mind learns and accepts information like a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old child would. So you've actually got to simplify it. And it's an art to make things simple. It's easy to make things complex, but you've got to make it simple. And when it's simple and they go, yes, I understand this, they have a win. They get a serotonin rush. They feel happy and they want to keep learning. And so it's the job of the leader to create the learning environment where people have constant wins and they feel good about themselves when they're learning. Yeah, and you were a um, you struggled with learning as a kid, right? So you've you've been on the tail end of being left behind, I'd imagine, because um, you. Linear sequential learning disability, I believe that's what it was called. Yeah, LS. <laughs> LD or whatever. And it's a shit of a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing. My, my wife is um, doing her master's in special education right now. So she has worked a lot with kids of varying levels of, uh, of disabilities. And it's really interesting to see your journey when you said you really struggled to learn through um, and you were left behind at school a little bit, struggled to progress. And what you just said about leadership, obviously my you know teachers can apply that in their classes. You can apply it to a business. But it's just actually turned into a beautiful segue into another thing I wanted to ask you, to be honest. And I hate to um, splash through questions like this, but I, I wanted to ask you this because you see so many people with these hardships and these stories and disabilities who, who actually succeed. Your wife even had an accident, had a disability for a couple of years. You're a beautiful, you know, uh, successful family. Kerwin Ray here in Sydney, I don't know if you know Kerwin, but he's... Uh, I uh, I bet you do. He's, he's dys dyslexia, ADHD. 
so many people uh, moving forward. I cannot sit still for 30 seconds and I hated school. Do you think those initial hardships have actually helped you in any way to develop the success that you've now created? I really do. One of the areas that I really succeed in is having the ability to reframe the way people think and think and feel about themselves. What I learned is that our thoughts, the way that we think, our internal dialogue influences 95% of our feelings. And what I've developed over the years is I've developed the ability to think laterally. Most people think lineal. And so that's what I had. I had a linear sequential learning disability, but my world was creative. It was lateral. So <clears throat> what I've been able to do is to be able to utilize language in a way that helps people make a change within the way they think. And that only came about by being uh, having a linear, linear sequential learning disability. I learned differently. I process differently. I see the world differently. I can walk into a billion dollar business and I can point out things that they've never seen. And I've been in there for 30 minutes. And so it is my superpower. It is my competitive advantage. But I've also embraced it. I don't complain about it. I don't moan and groan about it. I just embrace it. So when I was young, what happened was uh, at age 11, I collapsed. I used to have a lot of bleeding noses. My bronchial tubes were collapsed. I had uh, all these allergies. My spine was twisted. The plates, the cranial plates in the brain, uh, in, in the skull were pushing down on the brain. And so I lived with a migraine headache. So I knew nothing but pain and struggle. And so I struggled through school, five years of remedial therapy, got out of remedial therapy. Then I got Epstein-Barr virus, chronic fatigue, dropped out of school. And then I had two consecutive knee reconstructions back to back over two years. And so when everybody else kind of had their flow, I'm still fighting. And so what I've learned over the years is that resiliency has also helped me because I had to fight from a young age and I only knew how to fight. I've always put in more effort than anybody else. So when I popped my head up after 20 years of working hard, I was so much further ahead of a lot of other people. Not because I was more intelligent or better educated. It was that I was just working harder than everybody else. Goodness me. It's, it's funny that you hear these stories and my instant kind of default is to go and feel guilty that I didn't have all this stuff. I had a really, really easy, beautiful, relatively wealthy childhood and uh, with no, no problems at all. And it, it makes you instantly, well, it used to make me head to, to guilt and think like far out, this guy has done so, so well through so much hardship. And you go to these seminars and everything, you see so many people come through that hardship. Um, you know what it's called, Alex? It's called compassion fatigue. <laughs> Compassion. We hear it. Okay. It's called compassion fatigue. There's five kinds of guilt. Okay. And the fourth type of guilt is compassion fatigue. And it's when you try to help other people lift themselves up. And this happens as a coach. It's very easy to get compassion fatigue. And eventually, you've got to get on with your own life. But the problem with the coaching industry today is it feeds on a very low level. And what happens is people get really good at telling their sob stories. I don't tell a sob story. I just say, hey, this was just a fact. And this is what you can take away from my experience, where mm -hmm. it seems to be that everybody today, if you haven't had your parents pour uh, liquid soap down your mouth, you're not going to be successful. If you haven't lost a leg, you're not going to be successful. If you haven't had a learning disability or ADD, ADHD, you're not going to be successful. And we've got to be very mindful of that in this industry. So I believe that when we tell our story, we have to do it from a place of saying, hey, this is what happened to me. This is just a series of facts. Don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> Don't cry for me. These are just the facts, and this is what you can learn. 
But unfortunately, we do do build uh, monuments to disasters. Think about Anzac Day. We're not celebrating life. We're celebrating death. Yeah. 9-11. Yeah. We remind everybody every year this was the catastrophe. And so we build monuments to our pain. And we've got to be very careful of that in, in this industry, but in all areas of our life. Huge insight, man. Huge insight. And I work in the coaching industry. As, as you know, the, the audience for this is, is coaches. And my business is for coaches and consultants. And I've got no qualms about digging into the faults of the coaching industry as someone who's in the industry. Is there anything, you know, except for that, that the soft store is anything glaring that, you know, transparently frustrates you about the coaching industry these days? Yeah, you can't help everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a fact. You know, once you understand human behavior, you've got to understand that all humans are lazy. Mm. And this is not a it's not a negative thing. You know, through laziness comes innovation. So if you want to drive your car from Sydney to Queensland, it's 800 kilometers. And if you keep your foot on that accelerator pedal the whole time and you're shifting gears with the stick and the clutch, you're going to have sore legs. So because humans are lazy, they say, I want an easier way. And so what we develop is we develop cruise control. And that makes us enjoy driving. Also electric windows. I remember when I had my first car, a Datsun 1600, I'd have to wind down the windows. But every car today seems to have electric windows. Humans are lazy. Now, that's not a bad thing. So what happens is in the coaching industry, a lot of coaches and a lot of people who are selling coaching and programs, they target these lazy people. And it's like you can go into a uh, supermarket. What do you want, a six or a seven-figure uh, business? It's like taking a box of Kellogg's cornflakes off the shelf. Hey, mm. just come and get this six-figure or seven-figure business over here. And it preys on the lazy people. But what happens is they've sold the dream that it's going to be so easy. Somebody's going to take care of everything for them. There's no effort required. But it sets them up for failure. And what I dislike about this industry is that's the legacy so many people are leaving. They're damaging people. Not everybody's going to succeed. And our job is to look for the people who can succeed and are willing to do the hard work. Because what we've got to realize in this industry is that our clients are our business card. Mm. There's no business cards. Your client is your business card. And when your client is incredibly successful, people will just flow to your business. So you've got to choose them wisely. And I remember one of my mentors, he said, Daniel, you don't need clients. He said, you want clients who are going to get results. So how do you go around uh, qualifying people who want to work with your business these days? What I do is I have a series of events and I'm always watching my clients come through the events. So I'm watching their behaviors. I'm watching them from the start of the event all the way through to the end of the event. And what I'll do is I'll also qualify them. Are you willing to put in the time into building this business? If you're not willing to put in the time, you're not the right client for me. Mm. Are you willing to put in the emotion? Because you're going to have to face your fears. You're going to have to overcome your mental blocks, your emotional blockages. Are you willing to do that? If they are, well, that gives them another tick in the box. And the third one is, are you willing to invest money? And these are the three most important investments that a client makes. Now, the best clients in the world are people who are investing time, emotion, and money. But if one of those three elements are missing, I can't help anybody. And that's my rule. And I say to my team, if this person's not willing to invest the time, they're not right for me. 
If they're not willing to put emotion in here and work hard for their results, they're not right for me. And if they're not willing to put money in and invest in themselves, then I can't help them. So the statistics are out there. The International Coaching Federation have done the research. The average coaching program returns up to a seven times return on its investment. Executive coaching, which I do, returns 25 to 49 times the return on the initial investment. We know it works. We don't have to be convinced that it works. We've just got to find the right people to work with. That's, that's, that's the challenge. But it's also the greatest experience that when your client hits those numbers, they get those results, you're part of that process. That's wonderful. Yeah, and that's a, uh, a really interesting thing that a lot of people need to take that first step to start qualifying people and saying no to potential clients. And, um, you know, one thing I'd love to, to bring it on to marketing a little bit and to kind of uh, give a bit of uh, feedback to my audience is people need to manage their expectations around time in every sense, right? So when I have come, people, people come in as a, a marketing client, they need to have the same things to invest, whether it's, it's coaching or marketing, they need uh, money to invest, they need to put the work in and they need to be very, very patient that results don't come overnight. Now, uh, for yourself, are you seeing, when, when it comes to executive businesses up the top end, these massive big companies, does the size of the company have an effect on how fast results come for these people? I'd say it's more to do with the culture. Okay. And, and that comes from the leadership. And if I'm working with a leadership team who is results oriented, then you're going to get results really fast. But if you're working with a company that's more activity focused, you're going to see incremental improvements, but it will take longer. So in any of my programs, I'm really looking at closely at what's the leadership style mm. and also what's the culture in the business. You've got to consider culture today. It's one of the most important things in the business. And we have some businesses that are more harmonious. A harmonious business loves the journey. They love to smell the roses. They love to have fun. It's like the Google Hangout office. You've got bean bags. You've got vegetable gardens. You've got ping pong. That's one style of business. So if you go into a business like this, you've got to also learn to manage that culture. And remember, everybody fears change. And if you go in there and you go make massive changes immediately, people are going to freak out. Where if you're working with an organization that's more objective, these people are the get shit done businesses. I don't care how painful it is. I don't want to smell the roses. I don't care what I have to do. If I have to reinvent myself, I'm not afraid to try anything new. All I care about is the objective and getting the result. So I have to manage that. And each company is structured differently based on their culture. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when, it, when it comes to something like one of your programs and one of your concepts, like the um, 100X DNA program that I'd love to hear more about, that obviously must be something that you, you take one method and then you adapt it pretty massively to one of these harmonious teams and one of these get shit done teams, right? The interesting thing with 100x DNA, it's a mixed bag. So last year we had 2,222 people go through the program and each of these people complete a scientific report before they come in. And what I'm looking at for each of these people is I'm looking at their behavioral styles. I'm looking at how they approach problems and challenges. I'm looking at how they influence and persuade people and contacts. I'm looking at how they build relationships with people and contacts. And then I'm also looking at how they deal with policy and compliance. 
Now, remember that I've got, um, I might have a 500 or a 1,000 people in this at any one time. I've got to manage all of those expectations. So there's going to be people there who just want the result. Just give me the technique and let me get the result. But then you've got the other ones who are more resisting change. And so I've always got to balance the speed of the program. And I can run the exact same program, but it can run at a very different pace based on people's behavioral styles. In addition to that, I'm also measuring 25 of the most important skills for sciency. And a lot of the people who come to 100x DNA, they're intelligent people. There's doctors, there's lawyers, there's scientists. I had a guy from a billion dollar family there. There's people who have got businesses that are six, seven and eight figures. However, they've all got to develop their resiliency. And with low resiliency, people are really afraid to try something new. They're more afraid to fail than to try something new and get a new result. So I also have to manage them as they go through. Because if they have an incremental improvement by 1%, they're totally blown away. But other people want to grow at 10, 20, and 30% at a time. And so I've just got to manage that as we go through. In a big group, it's more difficult. And that's where I said before, sensory acuity is really important. I'm the leader, and I've got to make sure everybody's going through at the same pace. I can't go too slow because the fast people will get bored. <laughs> so I've got to manage that as we go through. Yeah, can you talk about that, the, um, the concepts of uh, social and emotional intelligence that you, you touch on a lot when, when you're in a room or working with clients? Uh, what, what is social and emotional intelligence? How do they come into it? Well, there's five pillars of emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is the biggest predictor of success. According to Forbes magazine, fully 58% of your success in your life which includes your career, is going to come down to your level of emotional intelligence. However, there's a component in emotional intelligence and it's called social intelligence. Now, this includes uh, social awareness and social regulation, and that attributes to fully 85% of your success. It's so critical. So I'll break down the five pillars. The first pillar of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. It's understanding why you think and feel the way that you do. This is incredibly important for coaches. If you're building a coaching business, you've got to understand yourself. And if you don't understand yourself, you'll never be able to help your clients. Why do I think and feel the way that I do? That's incredibly important. And the better you know yourself, the higher results you'll have. It's been discovered that people with a higher level of emotional intelligence can earn up to about 45,000 Australian dollars per year more. If you're in the field of selling, you can earn up to $90,000 US per year more just by having a higher level of emotional intelligence. The second pillar is self-regulation. Uh, self this is the ability to manage your mental and emotional blockages. See, all of us are exposed to four major fears. The first one is the fear of being taken advantage of. And you were talking about delegation to your team before. People build a business, they hire staff. Why don't they delegate? They don't delegate because they're afraid that somebody's going to take advantage of them. So they don't delegate. Mm. Other people are more exposed to the fear of rejection and criticism. 99% of the population won't do a podcast because they're afraid of rejection and criticism. We've also got people who are afraid of losing their stability and leaving the comfort zone. The fear of change will hold people back more than anything else. And then we have the fear of making a mistake. These people become professional procrastinators. And so that's self-regulation. 
The third pillar is motivation. And this is the ability to pursue your goals with energy and persistence. We've got to get beyond just money. We've got to get beyond just cars. We've got to get beyond just watches. You can see how important watches are to me. I don't even wear one. And we've got to start to focus on what lights the fire within. I love to help people. I knew it from a young age that I just wanted to help people. And I do it every day. I don't. Yes, I love money. I love money. <laughs> I love it. But I don't obsess about it. Yeah. I was going to say it, but I don't want to say it. I won't say the other thing. But I love it. And so we've got to get beyond just money. And we've got to do things that align to what lights that fire within. For me, two things for me. I love getting a return on my time. I love getting a return on other people's time. I love people seeing getting a return on their equity. And that drives me as a coach. So when I go into a business, they go, this guy's really serious about helping us make a ton of money and get a better return investment on our time. The second thing is I'm commanding. I like to lead. I like to lead. I don't like to be in supporting positions. And so this is the perfect role for me in my life. So that's motivation. The other two areas are social intelligence and it's social awareness. And this is empathy. And you can't make a sale in today's market without empathy. You've got to look at the client and you've got to understand why do they think and feel the way that they do. And if you can't help them become better, if you can't leave the situation better than you found it, you shouldn't work with the client. That's my belief. And then fifthly, it's social regulation. It's your ability to communicate your message in a way that other people say, I fucking get it. I finally understand it. I get what he's saying. And when you can articulate things in a way that you, you can do it better than your client, they'll hire you immediately. They'll mm. say, this person knows me better than I know myself. And that's the five pillars of emotional intelligence. Wow. That's... What a! Uh, I feel like we need to pay you for that last five minutes there, Daniel. It's, uh, <laughs> that it, it'll come back. It'll come back. Um, that's uh, so many things I want to unpack in that one, but the one I will focus on is the last thing you said, because not only is it the freshest, but it's also something we speak about a lot in the marketing space for coaches is that that ability to regulate what you're saying so that it's simple for people to understand. And uh, like you said before, you know you got to be um, explaining things simply and in a way that a seven or a nine-year-old could understand it because it's very very easy for people to hop into coaching speak and offer someone a program that will regulate your subconscious uh acuity to achieve your most ultimate desires and that you know for me if someone tries to tell me that i'm walking in the other direction whereas if you can tell someone you can help them make a shit ton more money then they're probably going to be more interested. Um, what, what would you say to someone to help them improve that sort of uh, social regulation to get their message across in a more simple and effective way? You've got to be very passionate about the people that you're working with. The first part is the empathy. The empathy is looking at these people and understanding what their problem really is. And when it comes to coaching, we've got to go beyond demographics. We've got to go beyond geographics and we've got to get to psychographics. We've got to intimately understand people's fears and frustrations. What prevents them from sleeping at night? What's that first thought that goes in their mind in the morning? I know a lot of my clients, they wake up in the morning and they're worried about where their next customer is coming from and if they're going to make enough money to survive. And when I say that to my clients, I go, oh! Have you got a security camera in my house? That's exactly what I was thinking. 
So we have to be able to articulate their fears and frustrations better than they can do it. And at that stage, you go from an unknown to an authority. And I call this instant authority. You don't have to be the expert. You've just got to be the authority. The authority is somebody who's already solved this problem in their own life. Hey, I know what your problem is. And these are the three things that I did to solve it. Would you like to know more? And so then when we sell, what we're going to do is we're going to sell differently. Selling today is broken down into three components. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to do educational selling. We have to constantly educate the marketplace on their problem. People are not solution aware, they're problem aware. People don't wake up in the morning and say, I need to hire a life coach. They wake up in the morning and say, I hate my fucking life. I don't want to live another fucking day. And now that's not what I'm saying. That's what people say. And don't quote me on that. That's somebody else's language. Yep. But if we can articulate it, people go, oh my gosh, this person knows exactly what I'm thinking. And all of a sudden they get instant authority and people reach out. So there's got to be a level of awareness with our clients. What are they feeling? And then we also have to understand what are their goals and aspirations? You know, Alex, when I was cabin crew, the goal of the cabin crew wasn't to be a millionaire. The goal of the cabin crew was to live the millionaire's lifestyle. So we used to have a joke. We used to say, it's the champagne lifestyle on the lemonade wage. You know, mm. when people realize what it takes to be a self-made millionaire, it takes you 20 years of hard work. You'll get close to bankruptcy around about 24 times and you've got to work 60 hours a week and people say oh shit i've got to do that to become a, a self-made millionaire that's not what i want what i want is i want to live life on my terms and so we've also got to intimately understand their aspirations and their goals mm. and if we do that in today's market then you don't have to worry about having some corny cheap closing line you tell people this is your problem this is what we can do to fix it and if we could do that, would it work for you? And people should just say, yes, I'm in. That'll solve my problem. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, 100%. The, the better quality, the client, the often the higher price as well, the higher ticket. I feel that like the quality of client increases the, the lifestyle of the coach, you know, enormously. You know, it, the, if you're going for those low-hanging fruit and you're battling for sales with people who don't really want to buy, your life becomes one of those stressful wake up in the morning, worrying kind of lifestyles. Whereas if you're going for people like you're obviously doing, you look like a very, very happy, relaxed dude with a lot on your plate, but none of it's showing. And uh, I, I can tell that it's because you're working with good quality clients, you're getting results and you're confident about, you know, how every day is going to pan out, which is really, really cool. Your $25,000 clients, they <laughs> send me a message, Daniel, money's in the bank. Yep. The $25 clients like, hey, you know, Daniel, this is a lot of money. I'm going to have to speak to my wife about it. I might have to borrow some money from the bank. This is a big decision. I go, it's $25. <laughs> so the investment, the bigger the investment, the better the client. And when you get a bigger investment from the client, they're going to fight like hell to get a return. So I say, Alex, to my coaching students, I say, if I gave you an Apple iPhone and it's worth 2000 bucks, and you're on the bus, you hop off the bus and all of a sudden you put your hand in your pocket and go, oh shit, I've lost the iPhone. Mm. How much pain would that bring you? Me? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, how much pain? A, a decent amount, I would say. It's a, but that's probably reflective of how I approach money, right? Yeah. Now, what if you had to work hard for two years? The average person works 2,000 hours a year. What if you had to work for 
two years, 4,000 hours to buy that whilst you manage a wife and two children building a business at 37% tax rates and then you lost the phone that you paid for out of your pocket. How much would that hurt? Yeah, far more. <laughs> far more. You'd be more. chasing the bus down the street. Wait, wait, wait. But if I gave it to you, you'd be like, oh, it was a good phone, but it didn't cost me anything. It was free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was free. Yeah. So the bigger the investment, the more that the client is going to fight for it. And my clients who pay $25,000, $50,000, dollars for their services, they are the best people. The interesting thing is they show up on time. And at the end of the session, they say, Daniel, you're a busy guy. I'll let you go. But the person who's paid $25 is always bleeding you of everything. They're writing to you at midnight on Sunday night, and they're asking for more than anything else. And so the higher the pay, the better quality of the client. And then when people pay you more money, your, 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 your nuts are on the line. We call it balls on the line. <laughs> your balls are on the line, and you've got to fight like hell. So it does push you out of your comfort zone as well. Yes. That is a, a fun thing. It's a uh, it's a journey. It's a journey raising your prices and going for higher quality clients. And there's always going to be a client that pushes you to the point where you've not done this before. What's it What's it like um, for you? And you're, you're walking into a forty three billion dollar company. Now I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm not sure if you're a forty three billion dollar man yourself. How do you? What, what do you look at when you go into a company of that size and what gives you the confidence to say, I can fix this? Well, the person who flies the plane doesn't have to build the plane. The person who flies the plane doesn't even fill up the aircraft. They don't even sell the tickets. Mm. So these big companies, what they look at is they look at getting specialists. And when they build their companies and they start to scale and grow, they get the best people in the best positions. So when I come in, they say, we can't do what you do. Could you help us? So when we go in there, there's no superiority. You know, I was working with a, a billionaire in America and it was just me and him in polo shirts talking about his business with five billion US dollars of revenues every year. And what did he want? He just wanted to know, Daniel, can you help me become more successful? Mm. Now, the interesting part is where he lives in America. The theme of the town is, how can we help you? become more successful. They don't care if I'm new on the block. All they want to know is, can you help us get this result? So it's a level playing field. And um, I like to walk with the giants. Mm. I don't feel inferior because what I can do for them, they can't do for themselves. If a billionaire has a heart attack, he doesn't care how much the doctor earns. He doesn't care about the size of the doctor's house. He only cares about, can you get me this result? So I'm pretty comfortable, pretty cool when I go in. And I know what I'm good at. Nobody yeah. can talk me out of what I'm good at. I know I'm the best at what I do. And if they want me, they can hire me. And if they don't want me, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'll just go and work with their competitor. <laughs> yes, man. This is the level of confidence that everyone wants to be at. I'm the best I'm the best at what I do and you can hire me or not. It's so cool, man. That doctor metaphor is hilarious. Well, Alex, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of coaches forget this. I'm the best at what I do and you can't get me anywhere else. If you want to get me, you got to come to my business. But you can't get what I deliver from somewhere else because I don't work anywhere else. And in a coaching business, sometimes you might have the same NLP tools. You might have the same timeline therapy tools. You might have the same metacognition tools. All the tools are the same, but you're the person that's unique. And when building a coaching business, you are the specialty. 
You are the thing that is unique in the business. It's about you. And so when people meet me, they either like me and want to work with me or they dislike me and they don't want to work with me. It doesn't change my opinion about myself. So we've got to remember that we are the specialization in the business. And if they want you, they're going to have to pay you and your rates here. They can't get you anywhere else. Yeah, that's really, really, that's going to be very helpful for a lot of the young coaches out there who I feel have, there's a lot of insecurity in a business, which is all about being a role model, which is, which is a funny one. So but before we wrap up, I want to talk about one of your mentors and one of your friends quickly, uh, Mr. Mr. Brian Tracy, very famous speaker, um, Canadian, Canadian guy, I believe. Canadian born, American raised. Okay, there you go. Canadian born, American raised. Uh, a lot of people will know the name Brian Tracy. And um, he wrote this book, Eat the Frog, Eat That Frog. And he coined that term, which is essentially a metaphor for anyone listening about kind of doing the hardest thing in your day first thing in the day if you had a live frog on your desk and you had to eat it straight up then making that sales call wouldn't seem so difficult you're a dad you know your kids are a little older than mine but um as i've found in the past couple of years when you have those kids any form of morning routine just goes out the window and uh as as coaches and as business owners we want to you know stick to these practices that make us better every day for you, Daniel, um, how do you approach your day in a way that is consistent and progressive when, you know, family and life seem to do everything in their power to just throw chaos into the mix? I delegate to my wife. <laughs> yes. My wife, she's super cool. Yeah. She gets up at six in the morning yeah. and she takes care of, the, care of the kids till seven. And then my daughter comes in and wakes me up at seven and says, Dad, get out of bed. And what I've learned over the years is that people, and this is scientifically proven, people will spend more time brushing their teeth than they will speaking to their children. So the moment that I get up, I then dedicate all of my time and most importantly, my attention, undivided attention to my children. So I then have the next 30 minutes with them and then I walk my daughter to school. And on our way to school, we talk about emotional intelligence. We talk about reading other people. We talk about behaviors. We talk about NLP and how she can think differently. So that first part is the most important part of my day. It's the most important part of my life. It's being a parent and raising emotionally intelligent children. Mm. And I know it's paying off because I'm always getting compliments on my children. Wherever I go, people are complimenting me on my children. Everywhere I go, people give me discounts. I go and eat at their restaurants and they give me discounts consistently. I think they just like seeing our family come into their business. In the area where I live, we don't drive a car. We just hop in a taxi and every taxi knows who we are. If my children aren't with me, they'll ask me, oh, where's your son? Where's your daughter? And so we're spending the most important time of the day focusing on our children. There's no digital devices. There's no emailing. There's no distractions. It's just being with the ones we love. And, and a little side note for anybody thinking to have children, if you want to raise emotionally intelligent children, and this is what my good friend Brian Tracy taught me. He said, Daniel, there's three things. First of all, the parents must love themselves. I love myself for all of my strengths and for all of my weaknesses. I love myself. Secondly, the parents have to love each other. And I smother my wife in kiss and cuddles. I tell her that I love her a hundred times a day. And she hates it. She goes, you've told me all day. I said, I just want to let you know. It's like I've won the fucking jackpot and I got you. And I'm super happy. I love you. And I cuddle and kiss her in front of my children. And what's really important is for children to see that their 
fathers love their mothers and that their mother unconditionally loves the father. And then the third thing that's really important is the parents must love the child unconditionally. You must love all of your children's strengths. You must love all of their development areas. You must never compare them to anybody or anything else. Just love them unconditionally for all their uniqueness and their own personal characteristics. And if you do those three things, you'll raise super kids. Goodness me. Daniel, I've, I've thought you were a role model coming into this interview and you've just cemented that in my mind as a, as a dad. Because that's really cool. I, it is something constantly on my mind. What am I going to do about these kids? You know, I, I was by no means perfect and still am not. And I just want to raise them in a, in a way that is, you know, going to give them the best choices in life. And I think you've just nailed it, man. It's all about love. It's all about love and just unconditionally doing your absolute best for yourself and your family. Um, I couldn't think of a better place to wrap it up, man. That's really, really lovely. And I have had my eyes opened multiple times throughout this interview. And I'm sure a lot of other people listening have. Uh, I was honored that you contacted us to come on the podcast today. I'm going to plug that in there. Uh, Daniel and his team are out there hustling to get on more podcasts, even though he could probably sit on a beach and enjoy himself now. So I really respect you, man. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure to be here and uh, all the best with your business. And uh, I wish your clients a, a lot of success. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't have much going for me, man. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate everyone listening. Uh, we will put a bunch of Daniel's links in the uh, in the podcast and the content. Not that he needs us to. He's everywhere. But you'll go and find Daniel Tolson. This man is a legend. Thank you so much for listening and watching if you're out there right now or on the recording. We'll be back in a few more days with another episode of Coaches to the Moon. Thank you so much. Much love and peace out. Coaches to the Moon will be back next week. Until then, reach us on Facebook at To The Moon Digital Marketing.